0: The proofs of our Christ's likeness. We've been going through this and talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, last week we spoke about joy and peace. And the week before that we spoke about love and uh, <clears throat> just some uh, wonderful, encouraging things here in God's Word. And you know what? As we get closer to Christ and as spiritually I begin to uh, ha- desire that very close relationship with the Lord. I begin to exhibit or show these particular characteristics of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We're going to talk about long-suffering tonight. Look with me in your Bibles at Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, and it reads for us, Galatians 5, 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, No law. As we look at this, the first three, we've looked at love, joy, and peace, and so we're going to pick up for here this evening on long-suffering. The next three fruits as we're going to look at long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness are evidential. You'll see them in the life of an individual as you uh, conduct yourself in uh, public and in society and even in private. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll continue our study looking at long-suffering. First of all, this evening, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and for the opportunity to once again come to your word, I, I thank you, Lord, for the very thing we most desire of anything else. Lord, this fruit of the Spirit It starts with love. Lord, you exhibited that first for us there on the cross as you died for us, for each and every person, all of us who have sinned against you. All of us have offended you. And our Father, I pray tonight that you would help Calm our hearts. I pray that you'd encourage us. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us. Lord, I pray you calm our minds. Lord, as we once again come before thy holy word. Lord, you be magnified. You help me. I need your help to preach. Direct my thoughts, my speech, so Lord, it may feed your people. I love you and thank you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The next fruits of the spirit that we see are evidential and visible proofs of some that God's working, and one of the things that we find here is long-suffering. If you want to think about it in an easy way, to suffer long. Now this word is a compound word from which we get long and tempered. And a short-tempered person, everyone knows what a short-tempered person is like. They'll blow up at the shortest provocation. They'll blow up uh, at the, the slightest thing. I mean, something uh, goes uh, uh, different than they want, and they just, you know, and, and we know what that person is like. A long-tempered person is quite the opposite. They have forbearance they're, and uh, plenty of patience. Now, it is the capacity of self-restraint in the face of opposition. When someone's coming against you, you have the ability of that self-restraint to not say, do, or anything to uh, to, to unnecessarily hurt, to uh, I- increase the, uh, the the tension that is already there. A person who has developed the fruit of long suffering does not rush to retaliate or avenge a wrong suffered, and uh, it is not the same as patience. Now, let me read for you a, a definition of patience. It is that quali- Patience is that quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb, meaning to give in under trial. It is the opposite of despondency and is associated with hope. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So the, the, the idea here, patience, is not used of God. In, in this sense, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, it's used speaking of believers. Now, long-suffering is the opposite of anger. I'm going to show you several passages of Scripture where long-suffering is spoken of and it's used of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, if you, fi- if you can find your place there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 34, the second book of the Bible. Exodus 34, verse 6. We're going to look at a number of passages here on this. And how our God is long-suffering you know what? I'm so thankful that God is long-suffering I'm thankful that God you know what when I do wrong that God just doesn't just pound the hammer down on me That he doesn't you know slam down and say hey you're done I'm done with you because that would have been done a long time ago Here in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord the Lord God merciful and gracious long-suffering and Abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, the third and to the fourth generation. But what we find here, as it mentions, long-suffering, and then you kind of keeping mercy for thousands. God, <clears throat> uh, when you think about the Israelites and Moses, he's there on Mount Sinai with the Lord on the second time, and, uh, but israel in the wilderness had a tendency much like we do when things were going maybe they were starting to run out of water they were starting to run out of food and they they allowed their minds to rush to the conclusion they made some assumptions about moses that moses had brought them into the desert to kill them uh, or to be their king to get them away from Egypt so he can be the self-proclaimed king and so there was a lot of uh, assertions or assumptions that were made by Israel and uh, they man they continually they came against Moses but in, but in that and, and then they also complained against God and you know several times they even wanted to kill Moses you know and and God finally had enough and he would not allow them to go into the Promised Land after they had sent the twelve spies in and but God was very long-suffering. Uh, God did not destroy them. He didn't remove uh, what he had already promised to them. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we find something, uh, another statement. Uh, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the good, goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And we find, you know, I'm so thankful for the longsuffering of God because the longsuffering of God, it, what it does is it, <clears throat> it leads me to realize, listen, I've really blown it. Man, I just blew it big time. and uh, God. And, but what that does is when I come to the realization that he is long-suffering, before he throws justice down, he has this ability <clears throat> and conviction in allowing me to go through some, maybe some trials because it brings me to that place of repentance going, oh, I'm so thankful, Lord, you didn't just come down. You know, oftentimes there's this idea, many times, of these deities, uh, in Greek mythology, Zeus and others, that would have quite a very short temper. You do what they say or else they're going to throw lightning down and you're a dead man or a dead woman. And, but that's not the way with the God of the Bible. And uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. We find in a, in, an additional circumstances here, wherein Noah... Realize this, that Noah had to preach for a very long time. It would appear, based upon several things, 70, 80 years, but um, nevertheless, he preached for a long time. And he said a flood is coming. The people mocked him. He continued to build the boat in spite of never, you know, there not being all the water for a boat to even float upon, and, uh, and then getting the continual ridicule. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, learning again about the Lord's long-suffering, which sometime were disobedient, when once a long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water Well, God was long-suffering. He wanted the world to get on that boat. He, he had one entrance into that boat There's one door one way as we have today jesus is the way the truth and the life it's nothing else but it's only jesus but god was long suffering for the period of time that noah preached righteousness preached of a repentance to god only eight of his own family himself his wife their three sons and their spouses are the only eight that would get on that boat other than all the animals and and creatures that God would put on there. But God allowed for 70 to 80 years plus to preach to the people when only all they did was mock and complain. God was very patient uh, and and an extension of that, but, I mean, he was long-tempered. It took him a long time before justice came and the earth was destroyed. When the children of Israel came to Sinai and Moses disappeared up on the mountain, the people became impatient. And they would come to Aaron in Exodus 32, 1. Up, you know, Moses is gone from us. Make us gods, they said to Aaron. Well, the people, and so they, they took all their gold, and they made a golden calf, and they went forward. You know, sin met a swift punishment. But worse was the following. In addition, God told him he was going to abandon the people. But he would send an angel to clear the way for them in the promised land, and Moses was alarmed. And uh, he assumed the role of a mediator. Exodus chapter thirty three fifteen. 15. Just think about this. How many times were the Israelites how they were? I mean, they just gave Moses a hard time Here's Moses. Uh, God divinely used him in a a magnificent way and uh, Here he is as a leader over hundreds of thousands presumably upwards some have thought upwards of two million people but a lot of people nevertheless and, uh, and these are the same people that wanted to stone him, but here, in the situation of Exodus, when you know, they said, let's make us a god, he comes back down, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and they're, they're dancing around. Him. And then they have the, the, the gall, or the audacity, or the nerve to say that it was those gods that got him out of Egypt. I mean, you want to you offend someone, someone does something really nice for you, and then you say someone else did that really nice thing for you. Well, I mean, they totally steal the glory of the person to whom the glory belonged. And, uh, and so God is just, you know, and God was, uh, God was done. And thankfully for Moses here uh, in Exodus 33, 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that upon the face of the earth. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So because of Moses interceding, the long suffering of God was made even longer. You know, Moses was again summoned to Mount Sinai. And, uh, and in Exodus chapter 34, if you're there, would you look with me? Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. So Moses goes back up to the mountain after the first time he came down. He throws the tablets down that God had cut out. Now the second time Moses has to cut out the tablets. And uh, here in Exodus chapter 34, Moses is on the mountain, and uh, verse six, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, longsuffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression, and sin." And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, into the third and to the fourth generation. Well, we read this a little bit earlier, but nevertheless, the people have provoked the living God, the Holy One, beyond anything they could imagine. And yet the Lord did not run to retaliate or avenge. And, you know, and it, it shows us of God's holiness, His righteousness, it shows us of His long-suffering nature and god holds back his wrath from visiting upon the human race for their sins i mean you look at romans chapter one there's a long list of romans chapter one of various types of sins that we see in our day today and yet god does not destroy this earth for that romans chapter two verse four would you look with me here I'll read a little bit of those sins here in Romans 1, but understand this, that mankind is in opposition to God, and and many times even believers are in opposition to God in their lives, and by God's long-suffering nature, we are not consumed, we're not destroyed, and Let me read a little bit of this for you. We'll start with verse, 20, uh, verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up, so they reject the creator, right? And they begin to worship the creation. So they worship the, the, the eagles, and they worship the bears, and the, fo- the foxes, and all sorts of animals. They begin to worship those rather than the creator who made those, okay? And for this, verse 26, for this cause, uh, Romans 1, 26 for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use and that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense, which is a, re, it's a justice of their error which was meet. And even, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And we see that in the whole woke culture is a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, but filled with being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, affection, excuse me, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same. But have pleasure in them, that do them. Now we come to verse four of chapter two. He says, "Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance?" As I had mentioned that earlier, but the idea here, God is long suffering, and uh, it's not to be. You know, when you think about long suffering. Some people might say, well, they're just so weak they don't want to say anything. Or uh, they just want to indulge, or they're indifferent, or they're apathetic, and they're just kind of like, I don't really care. But that's not the case. An individual who is long-suffering is not an individual uh, who is weak. In fact they would have quite a bit of strength to, re- to restrain their emotions when they are provoked. An individual that is provoked, they have the opportunity to allow their flesh to have the control and to do and say things that they will later regret. But a long-suffering individual, as we are close to Christ, has the ability to restrain themselves, restrain their fleshly desires, and only do and say what we ought to say, or not say anything at all in some instances. And, um, you know, and so God had given that in Noah's day for 120 years, up to 120 years, you know, he'd given Mo, uh, Noah, not Moses, Noah, that uh, there would be, you know, 120 years left. And, and, uh, and then it, later on, it tells us that Moses, blah, 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 Noah was uh, 500 years old, and he was 600 years old when the flood came. And, uh, But God didn't spare the old world. There was justice. So just because someone is long-suffering, there will come a time of justice. There will come a time when God says enough is enough. And uh, and, and Jesus was long-suffering with his disciples. Remember that there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, can you not watch and pray with me? And they kept falling asleep and kept falling asleep. Well, you know... (laughs) And, and there, you know, that you pray that you, you know, pray that you enter not into temptation. He tells them, he says, listen, if there's ever a time to pray, it's now. And in the darkest of the dark hours of these disciples' lives, other than later on when they would be martyred, most of them, they fell asleep. And, you know, he had to wake them twice. Our flesh is weak. You realize that God was long-suffering with the Samaritans, who in their religious and racial bigotry and pride refused Christ's passage through their village. And you find in Luke chapter 9, 54 through 55 of this. And, and yet he was long-suffering uh, with Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 23, 34 through 38. And uh, you know, he, would resist, he would hold back his judgment for 40 years until in the year 70, A.D. Jerusalem, the temple, were destroyed. The very people where Jesus was that put him to death as an innocent man. And rather than calling down fire as he could have, he withheld that judgment for 40 years. Jesus was even long-suffering with Judas. As Judas would come and He tells Judas, friend. He calls him friend. Now I want you to, I want you to think about this. Are you going to call someone friend that is going to stab you in the back and sell you for money? To be put into justice before the court of law and condemned as a guilty criminal when you have done nothing wrong. You see, our Savior was long-suffering. And this is the characteristic that is to be our characteristic. Long-tempered. I mean, it's going to take a long time till that temper kicks in. Until the judgment kicks in. Just think about that. That he was long-suffering with Peter, who had denied him. Looks across the courtyard, catches Peter's eye, and Peter runs out and weeps knowing he's done what he said he wouldn't do. He was long-suffering with James, Jesus' half-brother. We'll never know how much he suffered. The desertion of his disciples leaving him. When you most are lonely, and no one is there for you, and you are at your worst, lowest of the lows of life, and the people you think are going to be there for you aren't there for you, and an individual who you think is for you is against you, and you still have the ability to call them friend, as Jesus did of Judas. My friend, Jesus didn't slap him. Jesus didn't congratulate Peter for cutting off the ear of the Roman soldier you would tell them to put up the sword. I'm going to ask you several things that you think about this. A long suffering. Let me go through several uh, uh, examples here. How do you react toward a man who is smoking a cigarette after cigarette in the non-smoking section uh, of, of a restaurant, which they don't do that anymore, but how do you react when they when they're maybe they're outside and maybe you're at Boston Pizza, and they're right outside the door smoking, and man, you're just getting, and maybe you're. I don't know if actually the table there is in the bar area, but anyways, if you're in a place where they have tables outside, someone's smoking nearby, and man, it's just coming in, and you're just like, that stinks! And, uh, or, you know, and, uh, or how do you deal with a truck driver who bears down upon you uh, from a busy interstate, and man, they're, they're tailgating you, then they pass you, they throw mud up at you, you know, it blocks your views, slows down, and you're just thinking, buddy, If you don't get out of my way. Now, Jesus asks us I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. The Bible gives us a very good example of this idea of long suffering. You know, Peter in, in Matthew 18 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saying to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, this is like you're thinking, okay, well, I forgive him once, twice, all right, 15, 30, 40, 50. Seriously, Lord, right? He's telling them, forgive indefinitely. Now, you're not, you know, that's what he's telling us. He's, he's giving us this idea of not allowing ourselves to the provocate, not provoking a brother, and uh, not pushing that envelope, uh, and we need a supernatural source of grace, and we can only be long-suffering as we abide in Christ. If we're not long-suffering, then it is an indicator in our life. If we're more quick and uh into that you know non-long tempered and if we're quick in that then what it's saying is there is still room for you to get closer to christ there is still some of chris left or someone else left or yourself because this situation is happening and god is giving you a situation to test you to say are you long suffering you see the energy of the flesh may for a time show Uh, Maybe forgiving I'll forgive you up to seven times But it is only the Holy Spirit that can allow us to forgive 70 times 7 indefinitely essentially 490 times The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible to do in your own strength you cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit of God and so unless we are living a life, and we're, going to be, we're dealing with this on Sunday night, but the idea of holiness and striving to serve God and striving to put away, as we come back to our passage of Scripture, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then verse 24, which we will end up talking about in Galatians chapter 5, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections, and the lust that long suffering is an affection for myself and the lust, there's things i want and if if someone stands in that way i'm gonna you know sometimes we're just like man i'm gonna do something to, to fix that problem because someone is standing in the way of my affections or standing in the way of my lusts and i'm gonna let them know that they are not welcome to do that and, and, and on, in no uncertain terms will i do that but as i walk in the spirit, and I live out. This is why on Sunday morning, as I was dealing with this idea of faith, to live out faith is to live according to what the Bible teaches. As the Bible teaches it, you live it out. That's where we get our faith to live by, by the word of God. So long-suffering is again this idea here, long-tempered. You're not easily provoked. Others may be but you're not. Let's come to the next thing we find here, gentleness. A kindness or goodness of heart. It says something for the state of Jonah's spiritual condition, As He would run away from Nineveh if you think about the story of Jonah yet in 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown But first of all Jonah runs he doesn't want any of God's goodness upon the Ninevites He doesn't want God to come and spare the Ninevites because he understands some things about God Nineveh Nineveh was a scourge of the world Nineveh was a place where there was rampant violence There was rampant, uh, I mean, the Ninevites were a bunch of very ruthless people. They treated each other poorly, but in addition, they would also treat the Jewish people so bad they would cut their skin off them while still breathing. I mean, you talk about a group of people that are evil, it would be the Ninevites, Now I want to ask you a question, if you think about this, the goodness of God, or the gentleness here, you are called to go to the very uh, nation or the very people that potentially could have cut alive one of your own family members, and now you've got to go and give them the message of God's forgiveness. That's what God's called them to do. Jonah decided to take God more than 40 days to get him to Nineveh, so he tries to run. He was willing to die. He casts overboard. Man, I'm willing to drown. And then a fish, you know, a big old whale catches him. I don't want God's gentleness on those people. They don't deserve it. Jonah obviously wasn't very long suffering, <laughs> right? But we understand something in Jonah that the, the Ninevites would repent. They would fast. The king would be like, I want to fast through the entire land. I mean, it was a massive revival. You think about a revival. Nineveh was a revival of revivals. Because, and, and the gentleness of God. I'd like you to look with me at Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah chapter four verse two. Actually, verse one. Jonah four one. <clears throat> but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He's angry in verse. If you read the verse before that, God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would not do, that He would do unto them, and He did it not. So Jonah is displeased. Verse one, verse two, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, "I pray thee, O Lord." Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before to Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, or gentleness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah is complaining because God is gentle. We read about that earlier when Moses is up there on Mount Sinai about the Lord keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Numbers chapter 14, the Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, by no means clearing the guilty. But we understand this idea of the greatness and the mercy and the gentleness of God. Let's look at me at Psalm 86, 5. Go with me to another passage of Scripture. You know what, we like it. I think every one of us are going to enjoy and be pleased with God, when God's gentle with us. Every one of us. But in the same sense, we are ready for God's hand to be harsh against someone who's been against us. I want God's harshness on others, but I want his gentleness on me. No, they ask the question for you you know, as I'm near the Lord, so there's that long-suffering isn't... Well, obviously, we're, you know, sometimes we're not displaying the long-suffering. We get to the gentleness, and the very idea is, Lord, crush them! You know, you'd read many times in the Psalms uh, and in some of the other places, you'll read about an imprecatory prayer. That means a prayer uh, where, wherein the person praying is saying, God, smash my enemies! You know, give them what they, they deserve. That idea, okay? That's an imprecatory prayer. But in Psalm 86, verse 5, for Thou Lord art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. So David knew this. Jonah knew this. Hosea knew this. Hosea 11:8 through 9. Uh, Micah knew this, uh, and you'd find and others would know this. But even Moses would reminisce over the infinite love and kindness of the Lord for many days while he was there on the backside of the desert. You know, Moses observed the ways uh, of the eagle. And uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 32. You know what, I have to say I'm thankful for God's gentleness with me. Because there's a whole lot of times, you know, you kind of get out of sorts, and then you're just like, Lord! And God's just like, ah! You know, you're thinking, huh. in our own mind, if, you're like, if I was God, I would... Right? You fill in the blank what you would do. And I'm so thankful that none of our thinking is God's thinking according to the way we think, but my thinking is to be according to his thinking. And, uh, and Moses would reminisce over God's infinite love and uh, you know, even kindness to the erring Israel. Think about this. Deuteronomy thirty-two, eleven: as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. He talks about an eagle. Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings. Think about this. As an eagle, I mean, she has, uh, this eagle has incredible talons, sharp, sharp talons that can tear. She has a beak with great strength that can rip into stuff. And yet, in the gentleness and the tenderness, she comes up to her young baby and feeds it, cares for it, eventually has to kick it out of the, the nest, and then it falls, and she catches it, and just continues this process of teaching this baby, here is an animal with tremendous power, tremendous ability to do damage, and yet so tender and gentle with their own. Just the love. Kindness. It's of the Lord's mercies, that we are consumed not. Think about this. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. The kindest man who ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. Now, in our gentleness, how do we respond towards those that might be in a position or disposition towards us that is quite, I'd say, unsavory or quite non-delightful, you know, kind of like, ah, you know, there's quite a bit of opposition. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, delivering those who were under the power of Satan, delivering them. Gentleness. Here are individuals being used mightily by Satan, and God gives them deliverance. Gentleness. And perhaps the sins of these individuals had brought it to a place where they were possessed of the devil. It was all kindness, creature kindness. As Jesus would just minister here, mothers of in Jerusalem, chi- children, you know. <laughs> You know, Jesus was there. His disciples were like, ah, send the kids away. Get rid of the kids. Jesus was like, no, no, no. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. One of the things I I appreciate and and one of my heart, I'd love to have one day, I'd love to have a bus ministry here at this church and bringing in kids maybe in the afternoon or something down the road as God allows and God supplies all that's necessary for that, but bringing unto him the children. Look with me in Matthew chapter 19. You would think Jesus is so busy about all the other things that he has to do, and uh, I mean he's ministering to the adults, and yet here, was the disciples are going to push him away. Jesus says, no, bring him. I don't know how many pastors I've met and men in the ministry and people in churches who were reached in a bus ministry. Week in, week out, someone in the church came by, picked them up, showed them the love of Christ, and forever changed their lives. Maybe they didn't get that at home, but yet the gentleness of Christ was there. Matthew 19, 13, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Realize this, that most of the people that accept Christ accept him as a child. There's Jairus and his little girl that was possessed, and yet Jesus then delivered her. He touched the leper. Peter was overwhelmed. And yet Christ was kind to him. He was kind to the dying thief. Here on the cross for a time in the excruciating, agonizing... I I mean, none of us can imagine how horrific... I mean, you have big old flaps of skin just hanging down. You have a crown of thorns. And then you're having a hard time just breathing. And One of the thieves has the, you know, has the thought... Could you not forgive me? Look with me at Luke 23, 42 and 43. I want you to, if you can, as much as you can, in the imagination of your mind, put yourself in Jesus' place. When you're in pain, or I'm in pain, how do you respond to others? And this is an indicator of our ability to manifest or to reveal or show the fruit of the Spirit. When we are in pain, so often we are very protective potentially more agitated and yet our savior verse 42 of luke 23 in verse 41 to give a little bit of context the, the thief and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing mis. He said, "Jesus, you're innocent." Verse forty-two. And Jesus said, "And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom." Jesus said unto him, "Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise." I mean, Jesus is barely able to breathe because he's like this, and his lungs are collapsing, and he, I mean, he's just in horrific pain, and someone's asking him for help, and you're like, "Buddy, I'm hurting. How about you keep your mouth shut and just let me go my way? That's many times what we may be thinking. Yet, you know, we can dismiss it. Oh, Jesus suffered. Yes. But put yourself in that place. He's called us to that. Now, that's what we're aspiring to. And as I walk with Christ, that's my desire. It is impossible for us to imagine Jesus ever being unkind. I mean, remember David... Uh, when he reached out to Mephibosheth. So David was a king in Israel over all the tribes and for a period of time, for 33 years. And uh, anyways, he, uh, King Saul was the king before him. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. Jonathan was killed in battle, but David was the anointed king. David took Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, who, when, when they were running for their lives, the, the maid had Mephibosheth, Jonathan's young son. She was running with him. She dropped him. He became a cripple for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth was still running for his life because he's like, hey, there's another king in here. He's not of my father's family. And, and it's very common in kings, as they would, one would take over another, if they're not the same family, that they would kill the succeeding heir. So Mephibosheth hides out. He looks very, you know, just kind of ravenous. And uh, David finds him, brings him to his table. He cleans himself up. He eats at his table, and he says, Listen, Mephibosheth, you are always welcome at my table for food. Mephibosheth lost all of what he thought would have happened. In addition, David would also show great gentleness to King Saul because he said, I can't kill the Lord's anointed. He had multiple opportunities to kill God's anointed, King Saul, even though King Saul was completely in the wrong, had already been uh, put out of the, the, you know, the kingdom, or put out of being the you know, king forever, and, and his lineage being king. And he had the opportunity to kill him, but in gentleness he didn't. Think about that. Man, the fruit of the Spirit... As we evaluate our lives, number one, are you demonstrating love? And we've spoken about that. Are you demonstrating joy in the face of adversity? Are you you demonstrating peace? Are you demonstrating being long-tempered? Some might say, well, I'm long-tempered because I'm angry for a long time. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm saying it takes a long time. A long, long time. Lots of patience. Before you get to the place. And you're doing, you know, when you act, you're acting in God's timing. Then you have gentleness. Jonah didn't want God to be gentle with Nineveh, and yet God was. I'll conclude here for the evening. I've got goodness next, and I don't want to hurry through these. But just think about in your life, how am I evidencing the fruit of the Spirit? It doesn't You know, it does say fruits up there, but here it tells us a singular fruit. So I will manifest, evidence, all of these if I'm walking in the Spirit. Now, obviously, as we're growing in the faith, some you might be more prone to than others, but nevertheless, I'm going to evidence and show and display and act out in my life these things if I'm right with Christ. Now there's things that can easily happen to us, and it compels you, or it's like pushing that button, and man, that button is pushed, and you're about ready, I mean, to just go nuclear, and uh, you know, this idea here uh, of a position, and you say, okay, (laughs) I'm not in a right position to speak, so God, you help me, and you step back. You see, all of these that we looked before here, wrath, right, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, it takes no restraint to do any of those. It takes nothing, it, you don't have to be a Christian to evidence any of these in verse 20. Not, not one person to get angry, wrath, strife, contention, fighting, none of that, you don't have to do anything. I mean, you can do nothing for God and that will, that will easily come. But God has called the Christian to be different and an ambassador for Christ, wherein our actions, reactions, are such that we evidence that we are a child of the Holy God. As we think on these truths this evening in a time of invitation period, I want to challenge you, number one, you might say, man, I'm not doing very good on these You know, or maybe I'm not doing good at all. I don't know. The first thing we all need to ask ourselves, unless you know, I mean, we, if you know, we ought to know this, but if you don't, do you know you're a child of God? Is there ever a time, a period, there's ever a time in your life, you bowed your head, you asked Christ to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior. You asked Him, you realize you deserve hell, you're a hell-bound, wicked sinner, and you deserve it. You ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sins, turning your back on all else. Jesus is the only way. Not Jesus and baptism, Jesus and good works, Jesus and uh, another belief or another uh, tradition. No, Jesus only. And you put your faith in Him alone. You ask Him to forgive you. But the Bible says, if you, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Christian, you know what, when these Traits of verse 20 are evident in our lives. It is an indicator that I am not as close to the Lord as I should be. We need to ask the Lord to search our hearts and help us to get closer, to get close, so I can demonstrate and show the fruit that He wants me to demonstrate. It is a lifelong battle. And may we as Christians not be content with our state, but may we pursue the perfection of the fruit of the Spirit day in and day out. We have a time of invitation this evening. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward. And I just want to challenge you on this this evening. How to prove you're close to Christ or fruits of our Christ-likeness. It is so important that we are evaluating our life according to the standard of the bible that's our standard not what i'm better than so and so i did better than throw all that out our standard is god this is what he's called us to do as we come before him in humility during this period of time of invitation i want to encourage you if these are your struggling Maybe you need to ask the Lord, please show me what it is in my life that's preventing me from demonstrating these characteristics. As the music plays tonight, I trust with heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd pray and talk with the Lord. question to ask is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Can you give me a Bible reason why you know you're on your way to heaven? Why would God let you into heaven? a Christian, may we pursue the perfection of the fruit of the Spirit as we abide in Christ, as we submit and yield and obey what He's called us to do. The music comes to a close here shortly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Father, I thank you for how kind you've been. And Lord, I'm thankful for your gentleness. I'm thankful you're long-suffering with myself and each and every person here. We don't get what we deserve. But I'm thankful judgment doesn't come immediately. Father, I pray that you'd help us to evidence and show these characteristics that are pleasing to thee. My God, I love you, and I need your help to be conformed to the image of Christ. Father, if there's anyone here that is not certain of their salvation, I pray they'd settle that decision. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer.